Well, it's getting close to Thanksgiving, and uh, the Butterball Turkey Company has opened up their hotline. Did you know that Butterball Turkey has a hotline that you can call and ask questions? And, and uh, one time there was a call into the Butterball Turkey hotline uh, that went like this. A lady called and said, I have a 27-year-old turkey in my freezer. And I was just curious if this turkey could be consumed without hurting anybody. And they said, wow, uh, let us check. And they did their research and they came back and they said, well, yeah, you can eat it and it won't hurt anybody, but I don't, can't guarantee it's going to taste very good. And she said, okay, that's all right. I'll give it to the church. <laughs> Giving is a joy, especially when we get rid of things we don't want. It's easy to obey God's commands when it works in our favor. But what about when God commands us to do something we don't want to do? This morning, our journey through the book of Romans leads us through a very charged and intense topic and a command that, to be honest, some of us don't want to hear. In fact, today could be a declaration that will test our declaration that the Bible is authoritative and that we submit to every word of it. It's easy to say that when commands come that we agree with and we like, but today will be a test. Will we submit and trust God and his word even when at times we don't like what it says? That's what's before us this morning. Today's God, God's word instructs us how we are to relate to government rulers and people in government authority. And in the seven verses before us, Paul is going to address the topic of political extremism. He's going to say there's two extremes. One extreme for the believer is to say Jesus is on the throne. He is the king. Therefore, we're not going to get involved in any of the world's affairs at all. We're just going to worship God, pull out of the world, and just not worry about anything that's going on politically. And Paul would say that's not the role of the believer. The other side is that Jesus is king, he's on the throne, and we are going to fight against government for all of our causes until it looks like the way we think it should be. And Paul says that's not the role of the church in the world either. So how are we supposed to live? How do we live in Christ in the world? That is the question that's put before us. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Romans chapter 13. We're going to be focusing on verses 1 to 7. This passage tells us as Christians that we must submit to the leaders of our government. And we're going to look at three key questions involving that. First of all, what does it mean? Second of all, why do we do it? And lastly, how do we do it? So let's look at the first one together in Romans 13, chapter 1. What does it mean to submit to governmental leaders? Romans 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Let's pause there. Before we dive into what that means, we need to make a note of what context this was written in. Paul did not write this in the perfect political climate. 
In fact, it was anything but. Christians were pretty much hated and often persecuted beyond torture and death. They were persecuted by the government. This was during the time of the Roman Empire. There was an emperor at the time named Nero who started off okay and then became a complete maniac. People would say, the streets are dark. And he'd say, we'll just tie up some Christians and set them on fire. That'll give us some light. And they did. That's how Christians were treated under this government. And it's in that context that Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. That was the climate Paul wrote that. So what does this mean? Well, first of all, we have to see that this is a command from God that applies to everyone. Everyone. Paul is not making a distinction. He's not saying, Christians, you subject yourselves to the Christian authorities and the good authorities and the good leaders, but don't subject yourself to the bad ones. He's not saying that. He's saying all citizens, Christian, non, are to submit to all governing authorities, Christian and non. All governing authorities mean local, state, national. All means regardless of their political party. So what does it mean to be subject to? Because you're saying, well, if that just means obey the laws, then sure, I can do that. But it's bigger than that. The command to be subject is not just obey the laws, but it conveys the idea that we stand under the government of the land in recognition that God is the one who established the government of the land. That we stand under God's ordering, that we respect how God put this world together. The authorities have all, good, bad, and evil, been put in place by God, and they exist under God's authority. This means not only are we supposed to obey our government leaders, but we are supposed to respect, pray for, honor their office, and speak well of or keep silent. This doesn't mean we can never disagree with our government leaders, nor does it mean we never speak out against corruption that government authorities are involved with, but it means that we're wise and humble and respectful in how we do that. Well, what if they do evil? We'll get to that in a minute, but the short answer is they will answer to God. All of us, including them, live before the face of God. But Dan, I don't like our government leaders. Dan, I don't trust the government. This verse is not saying submit, respect the government leaders you trust and like. The follower of Jesus does not have that option. Paul is saying let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. It can't be any more clear. And this is not just a one isolated text pulled out of a different narrative. This is the thrust of the New Testament when it comes to how Christians are supposed to operate under civil authority. 1 Timothy 2, 1-3 says the same thing. Titus chapter 3, verse 1 says the same thing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13-17 to says the same thing. This is a theme throughout the New Testament. We are to obey government authorities ultimately out of submission and worship to God. Look at the Bible. Look at your Bibles a second. Look at how we finished Romans 12 the last couple weeks. 
Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then the very next line, how do we do that? Let everyone sub be subject to the governing authorities. It connects with love being sincere. It connects with how we're supposed to live out this gospel in the world we live in. In the original manuscript, there is no number 13. The chapters aren't there. This is one common thought that Paul has. And one of the ways we express and do well and do the good that God has called us to is we subject ourselves to the authorities of the land. The world will never look at Christians blowing off authority, ripping on government authority, bad-talking government authority, and say, I want that peace, hope, and joy. And God will never look at Christians blowing off authority, ripping on authority, bad-talking authority, and say, I'm pleased with that. Christians are to give honor and basic respect to all authority, whether we agree or not. This is what the New Testament is saying. Well, what about when they tell us to disobey with God? We'll get to that in a minute, but stay here a second. Honor and respect authority as people placed there by God in a system that God established. Jesus modeled this as we heard Jocelyn talk about when he was going to the cross, when he stood before Pilate and was being persecuted. He was the ultimate authority. There was no authority higher. And he humbled himself. And we respectfully stood there. Government is one of God's good gifts of common grace. And it's here in our land to establish and provide justice and order and civility. It is like the gift of marriage and family to foster and enrich humanity on the earth. And when a marriage and a family goes astray or goes corrupt, the Christian response isn't to trash it. The Christian response isn't to dishonor it. The Christian response is to engage it carefully and lovingly and wisely. This Bible passage is troubling to us for two main reasons. First, we don't want to submit to government authority. You know why? Because we are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Rebelling against authorities as old as the Garden of Eden. We don't even want God to tell us what to do. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and sin entered the world. And that sin was seeded inside humanity and then was passed down through all the rest of the generations after Adam and Eve. It's called original sin. It's why no one has to teach you how to sin. It just is something that's natural to us. And as Christians, we battle against that. And we carry that today into our world, and oftentimes it can lash out against those in authority. And it needs to be repented of and avoided. Second, we don't want to submit to the government authority because we think to do so justifies every action they make, and it's not true. Giving respect and being subject does not justify or condone every action our governmental leaders make. Nor does being subject to the authority mean in every single aspect we are to obey. 
But we have to be careful when we cross that line. Acts chapter 5, 29 says, Ultimately, we are to obey God rather than humans in certain situations. The principle is this. We are to disobey government leaders when they directly tell us to violate a command of God or if they command us to do an immoral act against God. Those are the times that we practice civil disobedience. But we have to be wise because those are exceptions. They're not the norm. That is like the ejection handle on a jet. You pull it only when you desperately need to. In our world today, so many Christians are walking through life with their hand on the ejection handle, ready to pull in a moment's notice. And Paul, who lived in a culture, climate, of politics much worse than us, says, pause that. If you want a really good picture of how Christians are supposed to act towards civil authority, read Acts chapter 24 to 27, when Paul is through in front of King Agrippa and Felix and Festus, and you see how he is respectful, loving, but does not cross the line into compromise. It's a great picture. The exceptions of disobeying government need to be prayerfully and carefully discerned. But in Romans 13, Paul is not dealing with those exceptions. The normal behavior for the follower of Jesus Christ in dealing with government is clearly stated. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. That is what is normative. Paul wrote this when Christians were living under an unjust ruler, worse than we in the United States have ever seen in our history. Paul lived most of his life under unjust rulers. It wasn't that Paul was naive and didn't know what he was saying when he wrote this. But he knew that every single ruler, good, bad, and evil, was put in place by God. And we see that even throughout the Old Testament as well. Daniel chapter 5.21 says, The Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he sets over them anyone he wishes. You see, ultimately, elections do not determine leaders. God does. Other passages where we see this in the Old Testament is Psalm 75, Isaiah 40 and 45, Daniel chapter 2, Proverbs chapter 21, and in the New Testament again, John 19. Proverbs 21 is an amazing passage. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of God, and God turns and channels the king's heart wherever he wants it to go, like a channel of water. We have to understand that all authority is put in place by God. So why are we to be subject to governmental authorities? Look at verse 1 again. Let everyone be subject to government authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. The reason is clear. We have to submit and subject ourselves to government authorities because every governing authority is placed there by God. You can't get around that with the Bible. If you try to get around that with the Bible, you're going to make the Bible say something it doesn't say. Because here's the truth. Sometimes God places governing authorities 
in the land to be a blessing for his people. Sometimes God places governing authorities in the land to be a trial for his people. Sometimes God places governing authorities in the land to be a judgment against his people. God places for his own purposes, and many times we don't know what that purpose is. Do you want to know the key issue with this topic? Do you want to know where and why Christians stray when it comes to this topic? This is the key right here. Unfortunately, many Christians fail to see past the current earthly government to see the sovereign, controlling hand of God. There's something bigger going on. We have to be people whose hearts are so united to God in his spirit that we see his sovereign, controlling hand. We don't trust, we need to trust that God is controlling all things. Everything on earth is still controlled by the hand of God. Everything is still moving towards his global purpose. And that doesn't change when our candidate is not elected. That doesn't change when our current leaders do evil. We must pause and remember that it is God who is the ultimate authority and whose sovereign hand is in all. Now that doesn't mean you don't call out evil when you see it. We said that, you do. It doesn't mean you can't call out corrupt leaders and call them to account. We should, as believers in Jesus Christ, but it means we do it in the right way, in a way that honors God and respects the fact that God established this thing called government that he is ultimately in control. In a summary, we do it the way the Bible calls us to do it as Christians. Tony Morita, a commentator and pastor, says this, Many professing Christians essentially lose their mind when it comes to politics. They fail to see God who is over the government. Should we engage in the political process? Yes, of course. Speak truth to power? Yes, when possible. But freak out or make an idol out of a political party or system? No way. There's a line for believers in Jesus God's kingdom comes first. Look at verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. This is why it's so critical. This is why we can't be quick to jump into civil disobedience. Because this is saying if you jump into civil disobedience too quickly, you are rebelling against God and you are bringing judgment upon yourself. We have to hold this in a discerning manner. Paul says here, the governing authorities are working out God's ultimate sovereign purposes. So we have to be careful when to pull the ejection handle and when not to. We have to be careful when we disobey the government because of those certain categories where we're to do so. Because if we make an error and do it wrongly, we are rebelling against what God has already established. Look at verses 3 and 4. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be condemned. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, or rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. 
Again, look at the word. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Twice there and one more in the next verse, God uses the word God's servants when referring to the authorities. Same word is used for pastor. Same word is used for deacon. If people want to be free from the authorities, the first place to start is to obey them and do good. Be good citizens. That's what God wants us to do. Many times Christians who complain about our current government situation spend no time blessing their city, blessing their country, blessing their state. The people of Israel were living in worship to God, and God allowed the Babylonian army, the Babylonian, the country of Babylon, to come and exile them, take them over, bring them over. They had to give up their worship. They had to give up their names. They had to give up their families. They had to take on Babylonian culture, which was worse than any kind of evil culture we can think of in the United States today. It was a horrible thing. And God allowed this to happen. He allowed his people to come under Babylonian power, give up worshiping him publicly. And this was God's instruction to his people when that happened in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, God of Israel, says to all those into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was his instructions to his people after that happened. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find your wives and your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And then he says this in verse 7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. So here was a group of the people of God who were taken over by a Babylonian culture, and God's instruction to them is to pray for the peace and prosperity where you live. Be good citizens. Live out God's goodness. Paul describes in verse 3 and 4 civil leaders and workers who are put in place by God to protect us so that we can live out the common good. Government officials, law enforcement officers, military personnel, fire and EMS workers, veterans. What a great verse to look at for Veterans Day weekend. This describes their calling. This describes what they're called to do by God, to bring order. Our military bears the sword established by God to punish evil and the wrongdoers and establish good. They are called directly by God into these roles, and we thank them for that. So veterans, thank you, especially today. Military personnel, thank you. Law enforcement officers, fire and EMS workers, and correction officers, thank you for what you do. These are civil servants called by God to carry out God's purposes in the world. And it says they don't bear the sword in vain, meaning the government has the right to punish those who violate the law. Look at verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, so don't do it just because you're afraid you're going to get caught, but also as a matter of conscience. This is the Christian ethic that we live 
that we do what is right. We obey and do good. It's what's required. We submit to governing authorities because it acknowledges goodness of what God calls us to and it acknowledges God's rule in what he has established. So when we disagree with our government officials, we don't have the right to sin. But we handle our disagreement with officials in godly, respectful, honoring ways. So lastly, how do we subject ourselves to government authorities? Look at verses 6 to 7. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Paul sums up how we are to do this through a variety of ways. Obey the law, be respectful, give honor, pay taxes. I want to close by sharing a few words related to this and then give some practical things as we wrap up. I want to, with much fear and trembling, go back to the days of the pandemic in 2020. During those times, many Christians claimed that things like stay-at-home orders or mask mandates were religious persecution. I heard that multiple times, not just in our area, but around the country, that such things were religious persecution. Now, you can disagree with those things, but we have to be very, very careful when we use the phrase religious persecution. We should only say we are going through religious persecution when we truly are going through religious persecution. I know some of you are regularly persecuted where you work by coworkers. I know some of you are regularly persecuted by, for your faith in your families and in your neighborhoods. And I trust and pray God will strengthen you there, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about religious persecution from a ruling government. What we experienced in 2020 during the pandemic was not religious persecution from a ruling government. And all you needed to do to see that was look at Lambeau Field. Because the government was doing to Lambeau Field what they were doing to every church. They shut down a place that brings in billions of dollars of revenue. And they treated the church the same way. Now, if they were saying... We can have Green Bay Packer games at Lambeau Field and events at Lambeau Field. And if they're saying we can open up the restaurants and the schools and the bars, but churches have to stay closed, then we'd have religious persecution. But we didn't have that. That's not what happened. And we have to be careful with that term, and here's why. Because we have dear Christian brothers and sisters in places around the world that are experiencing extreme religious persecution. We have brothers and sisters in Iran and India, for example, where the government is truly persecuting them. And it's not to wear a mask, it's to bury their sons and daughters and to have funerals for their loved ones. And they stand for Jesus Christ in the midst of such persecution. I shudder when I think back to 2020 at the message that we as Christians in America sent to those brothers and sisters 
They would look at our situation and say, you call that religious persecution? You have to temporarily watch online, or when you gather, you have to temporarily wear a mask, but you could come and gather in a place like this, worship God, and the only stipulation is you have to have a cloth on your face for an hour, and that makes you upset? They would give anything to have that kind of hardship. And some in our country stopped going to church. And some in our country did things to destroy the unity of the church. You can disagree with what happened. But be careful what you call religious persecution and what you don't. Because that was not religious persecution. David Matthias, who's a pastor, wrote an amazing article in Desiring God that you could look up. I highly recommend it. It's called, Have We Humbled Ourselves Yet After Two Whole Years? He wrote it two years after the pandemic. And in this article, in a very provocative way, he says that if God's purpose in allowing the pandemic was to refine the church, to purify the church, to make the church more holy, to make the church more attached to God, to make the church more loving towards one another, then it's a pretty easy bet to say the church in the United States failed that test. But he goes on to say that God's purposes are not thwarted. God will humble his church if that's what he wants to do. And it's scary to think if the pandemic didn't do it, what will it take? What will it take for the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America to be humble? It's a sobering thought. And I'm not saying religious persecution will never happen in the United States. I don't know the future, but I'm convinced someday it very well might. But we haven't seen it yet. And when it comes, I trust that God is going to take care of his church. And God's going to give his church leaders wisdom, even if that means civil disobedience and even if that means death. But here's the thing. God doesn't need a perfect or godly government for his purposes to thrive in the land. God does not need a government that is godly for his will to be done. Christianity is growing the fastest today in the country of Iran, where it's outlawed and persecuted. God's purposes will always be fulfilled. God cannot be stopped. And as we move into an election season, I just want to give a very practical pastoral word because I care about you and your souls before God. Here's a very practical word. For every hour of network news you watch, for every hour of political podcast you listen to, take two hours to study your Bible, pray, and reflect and worship God. For every hour of intake you have from network news, take twice that in Bible memorization, prayer, and worship. See, our sin nature, the way of this world, and Satan himself is going to use an election to pull you off of God's best, to get you to not trust God. And so you have to be careful of your inputs because oftentimes the trust of our hearts follows the lead of our minds. The trust of our hearts, what we're going to trust, 
follows the lead of our minds. And if all you do is input network news and you lower the amount of time you increase in God's truth and worship, you're going to get skewed. So be careful. We need to lead our minds in the ways of God. Then we can trust God and follow him. Do not be deceived or distracted. So let's look at six practical ways that we can apply Romans 13. First of all, submit to the governing authorities knowing they are established by God. God controls all things. His purpose will prevail. And there are a few exceptions when we are to disobey our government leaders. And we covered that. But God's overarching normative command is to be respectful and to be honoring, to pray for our leaders and submit. Number two, pray for all government leaders, regardless of their political party. Listen, 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 listen. Avoid being the kind of Christian that criticizes governmental leaders more than they pray for them. Avoid being the kind of Christian that criticizes governmental leaders more than they pray for them. Number three, be a good citizen. Pay taxes, be respectful, help the poor, serve your city and community and country for the common good. Number four, engage in the political process with truth and respect. Bring your godly convictions into the public arena. We have to do that as Christians, but we do it wisely and we do it winsomely. Number five, rest in the truth that God is always in control. Even when it doesn't seem like it, God is in control. He's working everything towards his good and we can be at peace with that. And finally, number six, remember your ultimate allegiance is to King Jesus and King Jesus alone. The true follower of Jesus walks out God's ways. They take on what he says. One reason I feel called to this task of preaching under God is because I love you, Crossview Church, and I care for your souls before the face of God. This is God's word. This is what it clearly says. The most essential takeaway you can have today is if you're sensing conviction in your heart because of how you treated government authorities, listen to that. That's the kindness of God wooing you back to him, trying to change your thinking to a more godly pattern. Don't resist that. Bow to God. Humble yourselves. If he's convicting you, repent The number one thing you can do to apply this message is if God's convicting you is to repent of how you have behaved. I need to do the same thing each and every week. If you sense the Holy Spirit convicting you, don't add more anger and push against that. Humble yourself and submit to it. It's the kindness of God operating in your life right now, bringing you back to him. Soon Jesus will come and establish one party kingdom where he will rule and reign with perfect peace 
and perfect justice, and his rule will have no end. He will rule and reign forever and ever, and all earthly kingdoms and politics will fade away and be gone and give way to the one true God and King who will rule without end. Let's set our heart there, shall we? Let's set our heart on that king and live out how he wants us to live today. Let's pray.